Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. So today we are starting a brand new series of talks, and if you are brand new to uh, Creekside Church, or if you're just brand new to church in general, we are pumped that you chose to come on a day like today to celebrate Father's Day with us. Um, We're so glad that you're here. My name's Jason. I have the privilege of being on staff here at the church, and I have the privilege of kicking off this series um, that's going to go today and for the next two weeks. So three Sundays in a row, we're going to be talking about this big idea of helping the next gen win. So I want to just start off this morning by doing a quick generations quiz, okay? A quiz of the generations. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up on the screen a photograph, a picture, and I want for you to be able to guess what generation we're talking about by the picture on the screen, okay? So if we've got some demographers in the room, that's a fancy term for people that study demographics. This will be really fun for you. You can nerd out this morning for the first couple of minutes on our demographics quiz, our generations quiz. If you don't know what a demographer is, that's fine. Doesn't matter, you can guess along with us. So I'm going to start off with, oh, by the way, on the line are some uh, gift cards to Bunnings because it's Father's Day. And so I'm hoping that a couple of dads will yell out this morning as we do this generation's quiz. By the way, if you grew up in church and you weren't allowed to talk, it was very quiet and subdued. Hopefully by now you've already figured out we're not that kind of a church. You can be as loud as you'd like to be here on a Sunday morning. So feel free to yell out as soon as I put a picture up on the screen. All right, what do we... Think of when we put this picture up on the screen. What generation are we thinking of? Anybody tell me? What what is it, Earl? Baby Baby boomers? No, earlier than that one. The 40s. So demographers call this group of people, yes, in the 40s, they call them the greatest generation. And here's the time frame that they, uh, they were born between 1900 and 1946. Do we have anybody here this morning from the greatest generation? Would you raise? Or I should do this. Do we have anyone here this morning from the greatest generation? Um, yes, give them a big round of applause. You guys, you guys should get a gift card just for still being here. That's fantastic. Just kidding. Just kidding. Totally kidding. All right, we better move on to the next one. Next picture. Yes, yeah, somebody said it over here. Who was it? All the way over here, baby boomers, correct. There you go, gift card to Bunnings. Baby boomers, they were born, so the greatest generation, the reason they're called the greatest generation, they lived through the Great Depression. They lived through a number of world wars. Like It's just phenomenal the things that they went through. All the generations after the greatest generation, we've got nothing to complain about. Like literally nothing that we can complain about compared to what they went through. Because they were off in war, These group of people, this group of people from the greatest generation, they miss their wives so much. You're starting to get why we call them the baby boomers. They came back from war and there was this huge uptake in babies that were born after the war because of these men that were serving and fighting and missing their wives. And then they got back, they didn't miss their wives so much, and then they had a bunch of babies. So we call them the baby boomers, right? What about this next one? See if you can guess this next one. What do we call these guys? Yes, over here. Gen X, Generation X, and uh, are you a part of Generation X? I am too. They were born between the mid-60s and the early 80s. These are the Gen Xers, okay? How many people in the room, you would say you're a Gen Xer? Raise your hand. Holy cow. We really are the greatest generation, aren't we? (laughs) 
but we're still alive. That's the only thing that we've got going for us right now. So this is the Generation X's, okay? This is a group of people that I grew up with, a bit rebellious, didn't like maybe some of the institutionalized things that were going on from our parents' generation, so we were Gen X's. Let me put up another picture. What do we call this generation? Self-centered? No, no, no. All right, no, no. That's a selfie, not self-centered. We call them what? Anybody up the back? What did you say? Gen Y, there's another, there's another one. Millennials, yes, very good. Millennials right here. Congratulations. Millennials, they were born from about 81 to 96. Again, demographers are kind of debate some of these dates. So you just go with me this morning and say, you know what, Google gave me this and Google's always right. So 1981 to 1996, they, they grew up not from the time they were born, but early on, the internet and technology was a big part of their lives. And so selfies and taking pictures and social media, all that kind of stuff, that's all pretty natural for them to have a device in their hand and to understand how to actually use the internet. Oftentimes, I go to this generation because I can't figure out something technology-wise, and so I'll go to a middle schooler and say, hey, how do you do this on Instagram? How do you do this on Snapchat? Because they just, it all comes naturally to them. All right, the last picture I'm going to put up on the screen. What do we call this generation? Gen Z, yeah, Generation Z. They were born, demographers would say, from about 96. Some of them already have a cutoff, and there's another generation. Some of them say they're still being born. But essentially, they're the group of people that grew up with technology as a part of their lives. That's why some of you, as grandparents, you can't figure out how to turn the TV on. So you go to a two-year-old, okay? And they know how to swipe on Apple TV, and they know how to swipe down and swipe up and how to turn the, the volume down. You can't figure out how to get the volume to go down. And you hand the device to your little two-year-old grandchild, and they do it in seconds. Because they've grown up from the day they were born with technology in their hands. We're talking about, for the next few weeks, we're talking about this big idea of helping the next gen win. That's the big idea we're talking about. And so over the next few minutes, I want to define a few things that we're talking about for this series. The first thing that I want to define for us as we get started is, what do we mean by next gen? All right, first of all, you know that we're Australians. We don't like long words, so we're not calling it next generations. We're going to next gen. We just like to shorten everything. So next gen literally is talking about the next generation. And some of you might immediately think, well, if we're talking about the next generation, we must be talking about helping a specific generation win. Like, how do we help millennials win? And some of you are like, I don't think we can help millennials win. But there is, a ch there is still hope for that generation, okay? Don't give up on them. Or some of you might be thinking, well, we're trying to help Gen Z win. We're trying to help that generation win because they're just getting started and they're just growing up. For the sake of our series, here's what I want you to think about. Don't miss this especially if you're 16 years old or if you're 60 years old. Please don't miss this. Don't let some preconceived idea of what the next generation means allow you to miss the, the sincerity and the, the seriousness of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Here's what we want to say as it relates to the next gen and how we define it over the next few weeks. It simply is this. Anyone who is coming behind you. So if you're 60 years old or 70 years old, there's someone coming behind you. Maybe you're a student here this morning. Maybe you're in middle school or high school. 
Here's the deal. Even if you're 10 years old and you're sitting in here this morning, there is somebody that's coming behind you. There's a six-year-old. There's a four-year-old. There's somebody that's coming behind you. doesn't matter how old or how young you are here this morning. Every single one of us have an opportunity to help the next gen win. No matter how old or young we are, there's someone coming behind us. So that's how we're going to define it over the next few weeks. The other word that we need to define in this title is this word here. What does it mean to help the next gen win? I was a uh, PE teacher for a number of years. That's my profession. I went to uni, studied phys ed, and then I taught for a little while, and then I, I discovered that teachers just don't get paid a ton, okay? So then I decided to go into ministry. Big mistake as well. Again, I just couldn't figure it out. But here's, here's the, what we want to talk about when we talk about winning for the next gen. It's somewhat confusing for us to really define what do we mean when we say win. For me as a PE teacher, I would define winning oftentimes by numbers on a scoreboard. And I'm one of those frustrated cricket fans. Maybe some of the dads in the room, you can relate to this. I'm a frustrated cricket fan because my kids, halfway through a cricket match, will come in and say to me, Dad, who's winning? And you can't answer that question on day two or day three. Or even day four, day four, sometimes you can't answer the question of who's winning until you get to the very end of the game. It's somewhat complicated. It's confusing. And if you point somebody to a cricket scoreboard and tell them, hey, define for me who's winning, all of a the sudden they get really confused. And they're like, I don't even understand half of what that means. How can I tell who's winning? Sometimes in life, the idea of winning is super complicated. It's like a cricket scoreboard. It's difficult to measure what does it look like. So for us to help the next generation win, it's really tough for us to figure out exactly what does it mean to help the next gen, the people coming behind us, actually win. But for this series, I want us to define as we kick things off this morning, what do we mean when we say winning for the next generation? Or maybe a better question is this, how do you measure winning in life? How do you measure that? For me growing up, and maybe this was your experience, oftentimes people would say to me, well, Jason, winning in life looks like this. You get a really good education, so you make sure in high school you study really hard, you get good marks on your exams, then you'll get this number that gets you into the right course at the right university that you want to go to. And then if you get into the right course at the right university, you'll end up getting the right degree, which will land you the right job so that you can get the right paycheck, and ultimately, over time, you'll be able to develop a pretty nice standard of living, you'll be able to collect a few toys, maybe a, a, a nice house and a nice car, and with the nice house, you might get a nice spouse. All of these things equal winning in life. For a lot of people, that's what a lot of people would define as winning in life, is this idea of a great standard of living. A great standard of living might be the definition that you grew up with, or certainly was the great the definition that I grew up with. But if we were sitting down over a cup of coffee and we said to each other, hey, have you ever met someone or did you ever know someone that had a great standard of living and at the end of their life, they had a lot of toys and maybe they went with the whole scenario of he who has the most toys at the end of their life wins. Maybe that was their objective. But at the end of their life, even though they had a ton of toys, 
they also had a ton of broken relationships. And we might even share a story of an actual person that we know who winning for them was defined as having a great standard of living. But at the end of their days, they really didn't have much to show for it other than some toys they couldn't take with them. So this morning and over the next couple of weeks, I want to suggest to us a different definition for winning as it relates to this idea of helping the next gen win. Here's how I'd like for us to begin defining it. Rather than a standard of living, what if we help the next generation develop a great standard for living? When you think about winning, when you think about the idea of winning, I uh, love music and so I was thinking about some songs this week that I could talk about that maybe had to do with winning and one of the songs that came to my mind, some of you may be familiar with, All I Do Is Win, 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 DJ Khaled. Some of you are familiar with DJ Khaled, some of you are not. It's a favorite song of mine. It's one of my favorite songs about winning in life. But actually, DJ Khaled, in his song, he, he talks about winning but he, he only relates it to a standard of living. He doesn't relate it to a standard for living. And so this morning, I want to take us back to an unlikely musician who lived almost 3,000 years ago. He was actually a professional musician who worked for a guy whose name was David. He was the second king of Israel. And David had a professional musician who worked for him that would write music for him, Sometimes this guy would write his own songs. Sometimes he would write songs that, that David gave him to write. And so this guy was a musician for the king of Israel, the second king of Israel. And in one of his songs, and I know this sounds crazy, that a song from over 3,000 years ago might be helpful for us in 2019. But in one of his songs, he actually describes this idea of helping the next generation win by giving them not a standard of living, but rather a standard for living. This guy's name was Asaph and uh, lived about a thousand years before Jesus even arrived on the scene. And we find his song, one of his songs, in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And in this psalm, he describes for us what it looks like to help the next generation win. And I'm going to go ahead and bring up on the screen for you the first part of this song. It's found in Psalm 78. Asaph wrote these words. He said, my people hear my teaching. He's talking about God. Listen to the words of my mouth. He says, I will open my mouth with a parable and I will utter hidden things, things from of old. So Asaph is talking about some things that he's going to share with the next generation. He doesn't tell us right out of the gate what these things are. In fact, Asaph, in the beginning of his song, he kind of toys with the audience a little bit. He kind of alludes to all these things that he's going to share with the audience, but he doesn't get to those things until a little bit later on in the song. In fact, in the next verse, he says this, things we have heard and known, things our fathers have told us. Now, I recognize on Father's Day, for some of you, today is going to be a huge day of celebration. You're celebrating your dad or you're celebrating a dad in your life. Some of you maybe are not biologically fathers, but you have chosen to be dads and mentors in people's lives, and so you're going to be celebrated. For other people, Father's Day is not as celebratory. For some people, Father's Day brings a lot of pain, brings a lot of grief, brings a lot of hurt. You're actually maybe trying to rewind all the things that you heard your father say to you, and so when you hear Asaph, this musician, 
write in this song about the things that your fathers have told you, you might immediately think to yourself, I'm actually trying to forget the things that my father told me. But Asaph is talking about our heavenly father, who's a good father. We just sang about that a moment ago. And he desires the best for us. And he wants the very best for us. And so Asaph, this musician, is saying, there are some things that our fathers have told us that I want you to pay attention to. And he's about to explain what these things are as we're sitting there wondering, what are the things, Asaph? Would you get to the things? Asaph is going to eventually tell us what these things are. He goes on to say, we will not hide these things from the descendants. We will tell the next generation what these things are. The whole idea of helping the next generation win actually comes from this verse that Asaph wrote over 3,000 years ago. This idea of helping the next gen win isn't a new idea here at Creekside. This idea has been around for a long time. In fact, if you look at Jewish history, as you look at the Israelites, they were all about helping to set up the next generation to win. And Asaph is going to define for us exactly what are the things that will help the next generation win. He says, we won't hide them anymore. We're going to share them with the next generation. Here are the things that Asaph is talking about. He says, we're going to tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. For those of you that maybe are familiar with Jewish history, the Israelites, who Asaph is writing to in this song, the Israelites had seen God, their father, do amazing things for them. They were slaves in Egypt. And then God, through a number of events, he caused the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, to actually release the Israelites out of slavery. And so they would probably tell their kids and their kids' kids about this story of this man, Pharaoh, that kept us in bondage for hundreds of years as a nation. But then God, our father, came along and performed miracles that caused Pharaoh to release us from slavery. And then they'd go on and tell the next part of the story, and they'd say, But we were all traveling out of Egypt and we ran into this massive sea. And Pharaoh's army was coming to try and destroy us. They were going to take us back to Egypt and put us back into slavery. And all of a sudden, God parted the sea completely and we walked across. The whole whole nation walked across on dry land. Asaph is saying, hey, remind the next generation of the incredible power, the incredible things that God has done for us as a nation. These are the things that they need to be reminded of. Not only that, when we got to the other side of the sea, we wandered around in this wilderness. We weren't able to plant food, but God showed up every single morning and put food outside our tents. Talk about power. Talk about praiseworthy deeds. Asaph is reminding the Israelites, hey, remind your children, remind their children, remind your grandchildren of the incredible things that God has done. This is how you help the next generation win. And then Asaph goes on. Not only do you tell them the incredible things that God has done in the past, not only do you remind them of that, but you also need to tell them that Jacob had set up statutes for us. And through Jacob, God established a law. These words, statutes and law, you could almost use the, the word standard as the same type of concept. God had given through Jacob a standard for us to live by. God has established for us a standard that he wants us to live by. 
And so Asaph is telling them, hey, remind them of the incredible things that God has done, but also remind them of the standards that God has given us to live by. When you do this, they'll tell their children, and then they'll tell their children and their grandchildren, and they'll pass it on from one generation to the next, helping the next generation win. And then Asaph, in the midst of this song, he changes directions and he says, if you do this, this is the result that's going to happen when you share these things with the next generation. Here's what will take place. He says, so the next generation will know them. Even the children yet to be born will know about it. And they, in turn, will tell their children. Now, at this point, if you're like me, you may be wondering to yourself, so the point, Asaph, what's, what's the point? So that people just tell these stories over and over again, and they pass them on to their kids, and then they pass them on to their kids. What, what difference, Asaph, does it actually make in the next generation's life? How does that help them win? What difference does it make if they're just passing on these stories from one generation to the next? Asaph says, here's what takes place as they pass these things on to the next generation. Then, he says, they will put their trust in God. They'll not forget his deeds and they'll keep his standards. If you pass on all the incredible things that God has done for you to the next generation, if you remind them of all the stories and if you continue to remind them of all the standards that God has invited us to live by, they'll pass it on to their children, and they'll pass it on to their children, and ultimately, the next generation will win by these three things. They will trust in God, not forget how great God is, and they'll keep the standards that God wants them to live by. This is a crazy thing because Asaph lived in a time when the Jewish people, the Israelites, they had over 600 standards that God had invited them to live by. So Asaph, are you saying that if we pass these things on from one generation to the next, all of our children and their children's children are going to live by these 600 plus standards that God has given us to live by? The reality is none of them could keep up with all the standards. 600 plus laws that the Jewish people had to live by, none of them could keep up with what Asaph is talking about. Thank God, literally, thank God that he sent Jesus to take the 600 plus standards and whittle it down to just one. One time when Jesus was alive on this earth, Somebody that was a lawyer, a student of these standards that Asaph was talking about, came up to Jesus and said to Jesus, he was trying to actually trick Jesus in the conversation. He said to Jesus, which of the laws, which of the commandments, which of the standards out of the 600 plus standards that God has given us to live by that Asaph is talking about, Jesus, which one of these is the most important? And he was really trying to trick Jesus into saying the wrong thing. Jesus responded to this lawyer, this student of the law that Asaph is referring to. And he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first. But there's a second one. 
He said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he made a statement to this lawyer. Don't miss this statement. So important to catch what Jesus said. Jesus followed up after he said these two standards. He said, all of the laws of the prophets hang on these two things. Love God, love others. Jesus is saying, remember all of the standards that Asaph referred to? Remember all the commandments, all the laws that if you pass it from one generation to the next, they're going to love God, they're going to trust God, they're going to be reminded of, they'll never forget all the wonderful things that God has done for them. And on top of that, they're going to keep God's commands. All those commands that Asaph is talking about in this song, Jesus boiled it all down to two things. He says, love God, love others, all of the law, all of the words of the prophets hang on these two big ideas. But Jesus also went further. A little bit later on, he took these two big ideas of love God and love others, and he boiled it down to one simple standard. Jesus called it a new command or a new standard. Jesus said these words, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this, by this standard, of loving one another, this new standard that Jesus gave his followers, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We talked about this question as we started this morning. How do you measure winning at life? I'm a huge fan of tape measures. I have probably a dozen. I'm not kidding. I have, this one lives in my truck. Because I, I love being able to measure things. I hate being without the ability to, to measure something and cut something if I need to. So I got several in my garage. I got one in my bedroom and one of the drawers in my bedroom. Got one that sits in my truck. Like, I'm just a fan of tape measures. Because they give you the standard by which you know how big something is. If I need to get something through a door... I can measure the door frame, and then I can go measure the thing and find out, is it going to fit through the door? As you get older, you work smarter, not harder. When I was a kid, I would have picked up the thing to try and get it through the door and found out it didn't fit and wasted all that time. Now I just go to my tape measure. Jesus, in this simple standard, gives us exactly what measuring winning at life looks like. He gives us the standard. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, those of you that say, I love God, Jesus actually defines how we measure loving God in this statement. He simply says this, God measures our love for him by our love for others. Some of you have been following Jesus a long time. And maybe you grew up in a church like I did where your measuring of how much you loved God had a lot to do with how much of the Bible you read, how regularly you attended church, how much money you gave in the offering. And yet, many times people did all those things but didn't love the person next to them at church. And God says, no, no, no. Your love for me is measured by one thing, how you love other people. That's the standard. 
Some of you are here this morning and you maybe didn't grow up in church. Perhaps even today is the first time you've ever been in church. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, I think we could all agree that the world would be a much better place if everyone just loved each other, not just the way they want to, but the way that Jesus defined it. He says this, that you love others as I loved you. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you're not sure that Jesus existed, you're not sure about the whole God thing, you're not sure about the Bible, you're not sure about Christianity in general, I think we can all agree If Jesus did exist, and if Jesus did love the world by giving his life for all of us through a cruel penalty that he shouldn't have paid on a cross, wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone loved each other like Jesus loved us? Whether you're a church person or not, that's that's something we can all, I think, agree on, that the world would be far better if we all lived by this standard that Jesus has given us That we measure our love for God by how we love other people. Not by anything else, but by how we love each other. That's how we measure our love for God. That's a standard for living. Whether you're a church person or not a church person, I think that's a standard we'd all agree would make the world a much better place. So when it comes to this standard for living that Jesus has given us, that we love others as he loved us, and that's the measurement we use for our love for God. What does it look like then to practically help the next generation win with this standard for living? I want to give you just three suggestions that you can take away today that I think put into practice what we're talking about this morning. The first thing that I want to suggest is this, is that you help the next generation win by committing to help them. You make a decision right today, right now, to say, hey, I want the next generation to win. Remember our definition, definition of next generation is whoever's coming behind us. Doesn't mean they have to be related to us. In fact, I think it's a great thing if you move beyond just your family and help other people win, not just those in your circle. But you commit to help the next gen win. So make the commitment. The second thing I would encourage you to do is this, is to share the standard. Share this simple standard for living, not the standard of living that so many of us have grown up thinking about. He who has the most toys wins at the end of the day. That's not winning. We all know that's not winning. But rather loving each other as Jesus has loved us, that's a standard for living, not a standard of living. But not only share the standard, I think we have to also, if we're going to help the next gen win, we have to actually model the standard for them. Not just share with them, hey, this is a better standard for living. This is a better way to do life. But we have to actually model it so that the next generation sees it in our lives. Could you imagine? Imagine. Look around the room just for a second. Imagine it, every single person in this room, whether you're 60 or 16, doesn't matter how old or how young you are, there's always someone coming behind you. Could you imagine if we all committed to helping the next gen win by sharing this standard of living and by modeling it for them. Imagine the difference it would make in our community if we actually did this. Can you imagine that? I I actually, I don't have to imagine. I don't have to dream of what this might look like because I've, I've actually experienced this on a personal level. 
I have a friend of mine. Her name's Christy. Christy Tamalo is a, she's a parent, has two adult children. She has, I think, five or six grandchildren. And she is a person that is committed to helping the next gen win. Not just with her own kids and, and grandkids, but she has intentionally committed her life to helping other young women win at life. Several years ago, about seven years ago, I, I met Christy for the first time, and she was telling me a story about this girl. Her name's Celeste. She and Celeste meet together on a regular basis, and she'd been pouring into this 15-year-old girl. This is a lady who's a parent of adult children and a grandparent, who is not just pouring into her children and her children's children, but she's chosen to invest her life into young women. She meets with Celeste on a regular basis sharing with her this standard for living and modeling this standard for living with Celeste. And then all of a sudden, Celeste catches the vision to help the next gen win. And when she's about 22 years old, she decides, I'm going to invest my life like Christy has into me, into the lives of a bunch of seventh grade girls. There's 10 seventh grade girls that she meets with every single week And she picked out two specific girls from this little small group of girls that she would pour her life into. And every Friday morning, every Friday morning at 6 a.m., she drove to these girls' house, these two girls. She would pick them up before school, take them to a coffee shop, and pour her life into these girls. You know how I know this story? Because my daughter Olivia was one of the two girls that 6 a.m. every Friday morning would get picked up by Celeste. All because Christy decided she would invest her life into Celeste's life. And Celeste decided, I'm going to invest my life into Sadie and Olivia. And then a few months back now, probably about a year ago, almost a year ago, I was at a wedding. I was actually performing the wedding for Celeste and her new husband, Brandon. And at the wedding, at the reception, I saw a photograph on social media the next day of these four people on the screen. This is Christy who's been investing her life into Celeste's life, and Celeste, who decided to invest her life into Sadie's life. And as a 15-year-old girl, Sadie made the decision, I'm going to invest my life into the next generation. And she began working with a small group of fifth-grade girls every single Sunday because she wanted to help the next-gen win. So I don't have to imagine what helping the next-gen win looks like. Because I've experienced it personally. I've watched people say, it doesn't matter how old I am or how young I am, I want to help the next gen win. I want to help them win, not by creating a better standard of living for them, but rather by helping them to improve what a standard for living looks like. So this morning, I want to invite you to consider as we kick off this series of helping the next gen win. What does it look like for you to help the next gen win? Remember, the next gen is just anybody that's coming behind us. Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, there's someone coming behind you. And winning is not defined by giving them a better standard of living, but it's really defined by giving them a standard for living. And Jesus gave us the standard. He said, by the way you love each other, that will be the measurement That will be the thing that allows you to measure how your love for God is doing. So I want to invite all of us as we kick off this series to consider this big idea. What if helping the next gen win looks like providing for them a standard for living 
rather than improving their standard of living. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you that 3,000 plus years ago, you gave this musician Asaph this big idea of how we can help the next generation win. God, thank you for preserving this song for 3,000 years. So in 2019, we can look back at Asaph and all the wisdom that he had and learn how we can help the next gen win today. God, I pray that you would help every single one of us in the room be committed to helping the next gen win, not by providing them a better standard of living, but rather a standard for living. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.